Welcome into this episode of News Time, episode 252. Uh, I genuinely forgot <laughs> to uh, how I do these things. I had an interview with Josh Johnson, comedian Josh Johnson, uh, last week talking about his uh, new comedy special, the likes of which I will find the title to right now. <laughs> the title is called Up Here Killing It Myself. It's a comedy special where Josh uh, Johnson transforms an hour of talk therapy about his relationships with money, black mental health, his father, and a stalker into an hour of stand-up. The, uh, the special launched on Peacock last week, I believe. I think the day I talked to him, it was it was on Peacock. And you can watch it there for all of its glory. Uh, I've spoken to Josh once before, several years ago. And uh, and he remembered me, and I remembered him, and it was a whole great thing. Um, he's a, a nice guy, very funny comedian, and he's uh, it was it was interesting to see uh, a different. I, I'm a fan, and I don't want to say gimmick, but I'm a fan of different ways to do a stand-up special. And he uh, wrapped his around the idea of therapy, and that is uh, did I say half an hour of talk therapy? It's an hour of therapy. <laughs> I feel like I I feel bad for uh for not if I'm if I'm looking at the copy and uh and and it and I'm and I'm not getting the right the right words down. But I love I love the idea of uh of mixing up the way comedy is done and this is the way it's done. So he'll do like an interstitial moment, interstitial moment with uh, a therapist and then that'll relate that'll go right into the the stand up bit that he's doing. Um you should check it out. And you should also check out the interview, which is coming up after this. <laughs> I promise you. And then uh, after that, obviously, the episode of the show. The episode of the show. <laughs> Jesus. How long have I been doing this? Josh Johnson, up here killing myself on Peacock. Hey, if you want to follow Josh Johnson, and I'm sure you would. I would also like to know his uh, handles. You can go to joshjohnsoncomedy.com. Like him on Facebook. You can follow him on uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter. Instagram at joshjohnsoncomedy. Twitter at joshjohnson. And if you look at the original interview I had with him, as well as the uh, the this current interview, which is now which is in video form, which you can see on youtube.com slash C comedy, he has a beautiful head of hair now. And uh, before he he did not. And I and you better believe I commented on it. I had to. Looks great. Looks fantastic. I can't pull that off. I don't have the head shape. That's why, that's why I can only stick with uh, what I got now, baby. <laughs> Which is Curly High Top. Josh Johnson, up here killing myself. Peacock interview starting now. All right. Hey, Josh. I know it's been a long day. How you feeling? Good, man. How about you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, you know what? In fact, last time we spoke was in 2017 and it was for uh, I Like You. Is that what it was called? That album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, we, we were both completely different people. I wasn't good at this and you had shorter hair. 
Yeah, yeah. No, dude, I remember. I <laughs> that's so funny. Because when they said C plus, I was like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh it was crazy. You were you were one of the uh the first comedians of note that I spoke to. So uh, I, I appreciate that and thank you. But now you're doing this uh this big video special over here on, on Peacock and and I mean, what a triumph! What a step up! It's it's amazing, and it's done really well. I mean, I'm I'm very uh, not proud or surprised, but uh, honored that uh, that you can represent yourself so well up there on stage. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. So how how was it? How was it uh, creating this special from the ground up? Um. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It had its hiccups, but it was fun, man. I I went to the director Jacob Bonacci. Uh, early on with the idea and we talked about the best way to like hold the theme and and communicate the idea and that's why we chose to have the interstitials with uh therapy in in between because we felt like that both represented the fact that when you see the question first asked or you hear me talking about the subject i don't really know how i feel about it or i'm wavering a bit and then you see it end up on stage and that sort of is the finished thought my finished feeling on it and the the what the joke ended up being yeah it was a a very long walk uh in order to take i mean an hour but still to to like to to push the theme across and all in all i think it worked well uh, especially with the commercial breaks in mind too you know it just it felt like uh, a good way to pace out the jokes uh, in order for you to tell them. Yeah, yeah, it definitely also helps as a buffer between, I think sometimes in a straight special with just the just the jokes, there's no extra um, add-ons or anything. It can be very easy for an audience to feel a bit lost in where they are and then it starts becoming about time. So it's it's funny, but they're 45 minutes in and they're like, maybe I'll watch the rest later, you know? Whereas when there's something that breaks it up a bit, that gives them something to think about in between, I think that it not only makes it feel a bit shorter, but it also shows that every section of it has value. Yes. And did you, as you were preparing these these jokes and, and talking about, you know, even starting out, I think the first 10 minutes are you just talking about being broke and growing up broke and not having money uh, or, you know, beyond broker than broke, beyond broke, you know, um, did it? I, I understand. I know comedians, you know, it's the job to to get on stage and to be open and say, this is me. This is my life. And these are the sad things sometimes that have happened to me. What is it? Was it like a novel concept for you to be that honest, especially with the the backdrop of the therapy in mind? I think I think that by the time I was ready to do the the show live, it all felt natural and normal. And I sort of cast aside any fears of how it would be perceived or how it would look to people. Um, for me, I think that um, it was so much thought that went into it ahead of time that by the time I was doing it or by the time it was getting edited or anything, I started to have different concerns of just it being clear or uh, people receiving it well. But, you know, those things are like it being clear is in my control, but how people perceive it definitely isn't. So I 
I did the the best that I could with the hopes that someone watching it would that feels the same would see that they're they're not alone. And then that's that's my hope that that people walk away with after they've watched it. But and let me know if that didn't answer the question. But yeah, yeah. No, I think it's great. How long did it take you to to prep this hour? Were was this something that you thought about all of 2021 leading into 2022? Was it was it something that you've been thinking about, you know, since you started doing stand up or was it just a spur of the moment out of the blue like I have to get this kind of message out? Yeah, like the concept, the framework of it came together for me long before I even um, knew when I was going to shoot it or anything like that. And then I did spend a lot of 2021 and 2022 thinking about what would go into it and, and what was worth keeping. And then still even, you know, what I recorded was much longer than what is shown because we obviously had to cut some things for time and everything. So then that became another part of what took up towards the end of last year is what, what needs to be cut or what can be cut to make the format fit and not feel bloated, not feel too long, you know? Was it, was it freeing to, to make this with uh, an audio, a video audience, you know, set in mind, like this is going to be on a streaming platform and it's going to help get uh, what I need, you know, in a visual format out there. Was that, was that like a, was that part of the planning process as well? I think mostly it was just about making it, making it worth all that. You know what I mean? Like making it worth, um, worth being on a streamer, worth being seen by a bunch of people and everything. Because I think if you, if you take care of that stuff, the rest works itself out. I think if you get too in your head about, um, about the, the stuff that you can't really control that only happens after it comes out, it does become kind of a, a prison. So I, I think the most freeing thing was, was knowing that the people were enjoying the jokes that I was enjoying uh, the performance and that uh, I could trust the team that, that put together the, the thing on the behind the scenes side, the video side, the director and everything. What, what kind of, you don't have to be specific here, but what kind of stories did you leave on the cutting room floor that, I mean, you might be sharing these at a later date or you might not share them at all. Yeah. I mean, there's, let me see. I'm trying to think you'll definitely see them eventually. Cause I loved them. That that's why they made that sort of next to final cut, but they didn't make the, the final was cause you know, it just would have been too long. Um, but let me see. Yeah, there's definitely you'll you'll see it one day. But I talk about how when I was little um, in in my neighborhood, uh, the the Santa got robbed, and like <laughs> I go in, I go into a lot of detail. It's is too long to tell right now, but you'll see it right. eventually. Okay, I, I trust you on that one. That's a that's a very funny premise of a Santa getting robbed. That's I love that so much. How did uh, your your family when they see when they see this final cut or when if they've seen it already? How did they react? How how do you think they'll feel? Um, I don't know. I mean, I hope I hope they'll be happy and find it funny. Um, but yeah, it's hard to tell. It's it's hard to it's hard to say. Um, because 
everyone has their own experiences of, of how they'll feel with someone close to them being that open. So, you know, there's some family that I, I, I can imagine will not necessarily enjoy me being, um, being so, I guess, like forthcoming and might not be able to see past, like, I think there's a, if you know me, there's probably a lot that you have to see past to enjoy the jokes and recognize that I am telling jokes and that this is a performance and that this is like how I used to feel, not how I'm feeling now. And I think that that is going to be something that I guess, I guess we'll see. Cause they, today is the day they'd be watching it. So. Yeah. Well, all right. With the, with a couple of seconds left, how do you, very therapy question. How do you feel about it? Uh, I feel really good. You know, I'm, I'm happy that it's out. I'm thankful to Peacock and everyone that I worked with over there to get it put out, you know, to, to uh, Megan, to Katie, to every, everybody that, that worked on it to, to Jacob, to the whole crew that came through everyone that was in the audience. We sold out two shows to record it. So, you know, just thankful to everyone in my life and thankful to my family, to my, my, my girlfriend for all their support and everything that they've been doing to, to make me feel comfortable talking openly about things. Um, and then just hopefully that it's, uh, that it's received as it was intended. If is the, is the last thing. Well, Josh, thank you so much. That's wonderful answers. Uh, I appreciate you giving me the time. Let's not, not make it another six or seven years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hopefully one. And, well, that was very strange. Welcome back to the Constitutionals Podcast. I'm your host, Chad White. If you didn't know, this is the premier podcast for the website, cpluscomedy.com. Like I just said, it's a website Go there. Here we are, episode 253. That's right, baby. I'm adjusting the levels still as we get into it. What's going on with me? Uh, I just rewatched um, Star Trek Beyond. Just rewatched the, the last three Star Trek movies. The Kelvin Timeline is their note. I have, no, I have nothing to add to it. I just like those movies. <laughs> they're very shiny and they're very fun. And everybody is so beautiful. They're a great set of films. Uh, what else is going on? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have anything going on with my life. Nova's asleep, taking a nap. I was once at that point too, but now I'm awake. <laughs> Let's get on the stories. This first one comes from Engadget, written by Chris Holt. Microsoft is putting Xbox games on GeForce Now in an attempt to win over regulators. If you didn't know, Microsoft is uh, currently in the acquisition phase of Activision Blizzard. They're the ones, Activision Blizzard does uh, uh, World of Warcraft, Call of Duty. Am I correct in thinking that Blizzard does World of Warcraft? I think they also do Overwatch too. If I'm if they do do World of Warcraft, they, they definitely do um, uh, uh, Overcraft, Over, Overwatch. I played Overwatch 2 for a couple of months. I'm not I, I don't like multiplayer games. I played it for a couple of months and it is it is just Overwatch 1 uh with newer things. Which is fine. But I'm glad it's free. I'm, I'm getting choked up. Getting choked up about it. 
Oh, it, that that's because I turn off the mic. Oh, well, that's the only way I can clear my throat. <coughs> that's a girl. Oh, God, what a reference. Easy, easy to make. Everybody was, I said clear my throat. Everybody was just waiting on pins and needles. Hands and feet. Waiting, begging, please. Love and touch and squeezing. Another great reference. Oh, I'm just full of song references today. <sighs> Any hoosers. Activision Blizzard. Microsoft's trying to buy Activision Blizzard. And uh, they, they're... What, what Microsoft is trying to do is uh, basically uh, with the Activision Blizzard thing, it's just bolster their publishing library and have a bunch of Xbox made for Xbox games. They're gonna they're what they what they announced to do what they announcing to do is the Call of Duty series is still going to be on everything. And in fact, they're gonna bring it to Nintendo back to Nintendo. It had, they haven't had a Nintendo release since 2013, I believe, is the year. Uh, Nintendo Wii, I think it was Call of Duty Modern Warfare, one of those. I don't I don't know, but because uh, I never played <laughs> it's Call of Duty on Nintendo software. Uh, hardware, but that's a good that's a good idea. And there's a PlayStation exclusive agreement with Call of Duty that is set to end at some point. But now uh, people are up in arms. Well, Sony and their fans are up in arms in regards to whether or not that means Call of Duty is going to be on Game Pass first, and they're going to get the games. Uh, Xbox is going to get the games, and 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 Sony's going to be left in the dust. Uh, meanwhile. For two straight generations, Sony had exclusive rights to uh, maps before before Xbox and PC and uh, and everybody else who who has the ability to buy. Nothing should be gatekept. If it's gonna be if it's gonna be a uh, nothing should be exclusive or gatekept. If it's if it's gonna be a video game that's gonna be on every you know or multiple consoles. Then just have different cosmetics. You know, that's that's it. Don't worry about hiding gameplay moments behind certain consoles, which is ridiculous. So that is to say, Microsoft has a 10-year deal with NVIDIA, which is the uh, graphics company, the graphics card company. I don't know how to describe them. Software hardware company that makes the uh, NVIDIA Shield products, which are fine products, the most powerful Android devices out there. Uh, one of the some of the most powerful Android devices out there, uh, definitely the most powerful Android top box set top box that has not been updated since 2017, and they also make the uh, Nintendo Switch uh, chips that are even though they're pretty old and they struggled to run uh, Pokemon Scarlet and some other games, I still think they're fine. I was playing the Switch yesterday. I'm almost done with Pokemon Scarlet. I like to chip away at video games, especially like that. And uh, I noticed I have, I, well, I beat all the gyms, and I beat these uh, monster Pokemon, whatever they're called, these oversized giant Pokemon, and now I have to uh, beat the star bases, and then I have to do the last moments of, I have to go to Pokemon League, I gotta do, it's a whole thing. My Quaquaval is dancing the night away. <laughs> I still don't know what, uh, I, I'm still discovering Pokemon, it's great. I don't spend time on the internet looking at things like that. I look at things like this. <laughs> the, 
The company's president, Brad Smith, made the announcement at uh, so they're bringing uh, uh, Xbox games to GeForce Now. GeForce Now is the streaming platform for Nvidia. You can stream video games uh, on PC. With, this is a this is a a very interesting proposition, uh, mostly because Xbox has its own Microsoft has its own game streaming cloud thing called Xbox X Cloud. I believe that's what it's called. And you're supposed to be able to stream the games from your Xbox or Xbox Game Pass directly to, you know, your Android phones and uh, uh, your Chrome browsers and, and also in a, a workaround, your iPad your, and iPhones and things of that nature. Some games you can play with touch. Some games you can play with controllers. Some games you can do both. It's all pretty neat. And as for GeForce Now, it's supposed to bring powerful PC games to your PCs that aren't necessarily built for that. So you can just pop open the app or I think the browser, and then you can play Witcher 3 if you own it on GeForce Now. Or if you subscribe, then you can you know, pay $10 a month and you can play whatever games they offer. Um, I don't know, let's pretend Deadlight is on there. I couldn't think of a game <laughs> fast enough. If the deal goes through, Activision Blizzard uh, games like Call of Duty series will be available for GeForce Now. The publisher removed his titles from the cloud gaming service in 2020. GeForce's Now's announcement came after that he confirmed that Microsoft will bring Xbox games to Nintendo platforms like the Switch under a binding 10-year deal. This is all to uh, appease the European Union, which is now trying to say that uh, the excuse me the UK's competitor competition regulator said that uh, the 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 acquisition for Activision Blizzard which is roughly $68.7 billion, could, quote, result in a substantial lessening of competition in gaming consoles and, quote, harm UK gamers. Uh, Microsoft already has 60 to 70% share of the... Am I shaking the desk? Sorry. Uh, 60 to 70% share of the cloud gaming market. And if the deal goes through, it would reinforce the strong position. The FTC in the United States has uh, sued... To block the merger. I believe the president can push this through. Biden, if you know what's good for you. You'll do what you want. <laughs> I mean, this no, this isn't this in uh, no doubt is kind of a. A monopoly in terms of uh, of gaming, but. I mean, if we look across uh, even like a different industry, if we go to if we go to Disney and the film industry, if we go to uh, uh, Apple and its own iOS ecosystem, which is also uh, that the uh, the European Union was like, hey, you shouldn't be able to have one app store and also put USB-C on your phones, which is maybe coming I just ordered a new phone, so it's probably not going to happen for me next year. Or this year, rather. Look at Brother Printers. <laughs> just touched the printer next to me. Uh, you know, it's uh, these these monopolies, they, they matter and then they also don't in the in the long run, short run. Um, I I think, I have a feeling that this, uh, the merger could go through, but they'll have to break up uh, Activision and maybe even sell off uh, some of its, not properties, but the studios, I guess. I don't know. 
but Microsoft looks like it's trying to, at least trying to, it looks like a trying to appeal to the health of the gamer as opposed to trying to hinder it, as the U.S. put it. Hey, remember last week, in last week's episode, 252, Merge Down, I think that's what it's called, I talked about podcasting and how it's not lucrative anymore. Now, side note, coming from Jacob Castronakes and Ariel Shapiro, over at The Verge, YouTube Music is adding podcasts. Just in time, baby. Along with uh, Spotify, YouTube Music is going to have podcasts live alongside music. Which, on Spotify, it's super frustrating. You might be asking, hey, doesn't, doesn't Google already have a podcast app called Google Podcasts? And you are correct. The addition is going to put YouTube Music, pit YouTube Music, even more directly against Spotify as a way to retain users and grow its audience. If someone, this comes from uh, the Kai Chuck, uh, YouTube's head of podcasting. If someone wants to watch a podcast, we have a solution. If someone wants to listen to a podcast only, we should have a great experience for that as well. I don't like the idea. I think the more that we uh, are, are putting into these music apps, the more difficult they are to, uh, become, to become listening to. Oh, God. I don't know what this episode is going to be called, but I definitely know. Actually, I would rather there be two separate apps, one for music and one for uh, YouTube, and then another one for podcasting. We should, they, I mean, they should all talk to each other, most definitely, but you shouldn't, they shouldn't be forced down users' throats to have to wade through being suggested a podcast that you're never going to listen to, which is what happens with Spotify. Spotify has got to be one of the heaviest apps in terms of uh, uh, usability. Usability, yeah, I guess in terms of features. If it would, if it just had a Spotify Music app, I think that would be great. Like Spotify Live was for live shows, and that we saw how well that panned out, but. In this in this regard, it kind of feels like a a super app, which I've, I've mentioned a couple of times, uh, which are apps that have all these features in it that people barely use. And someone could obviously just like not be using Apple Podcasts or um, what do I use? Pocket Casts. And they could just be happy with Spotify and Spotify Podcasts and uh, or it's not called Spotify podcast, but podcasting on Spotify. And that could be the app they use. Uh, but it's, it is, uh, it's, it's something that being forced to use, like on YouTube music, they have any, any, anything that you like on YouTube is going to pop up on YouTube music. So I could watch a, a review for Harry Potter's, uh, legacy Hogwarts. Like that's what it's called Hogwarts legacy. I could watch a review for that. I could watch a review for the S 23 ultra. And if I like that video and it has some element of music in it, then that's going to pop up on my YouTube music. Or if I make a playlist of videos of, you know, uh, of late night, monologues that's going to pop up on youtube music and then if i make uh if i if i like a music video 
on YouTube, that's going to pop up music, YouTube music. And then if I like something on YouTube music, that's going to pop up on YouTube. And that just kind of, that, that kind of ruins usability for everyone. It should be something you should be able to toggle on and off. If they just focus on music, get the bit rate down, right? Get, get, get better ways to look at your downloads. And this goes for everybody across the board. YouTube hit 80 million subscribers last year for its music and premium services. Which is huge because Spotify has 200 million paid subscribers. YouTube has 2 billion users, period. So it can get any more users or even get close to that number of Spotify. It'll be somewhat successful. This next one comes from The Hollywood Reporter, written by Alex Weprin. NPR's to cut workforce by 10% as advertising slowdown hits public media. We're seeing layoffs across the industry, across all industries, rather. National Public Radio is uh, a part of the public, of the journalism industry, but is also part of the public media. And it turns out that the numbers are not doing so hot, and they've got to lose some people. Most of NPR's open jobs will be eliminated, and it'll be reducing its existing workforce by 10%. That's more than 700 employees, excuse me, 700 employees work for NPR. So 10%, 70 people. I'm not good at math. (laughs) It's also been suggested that the necessary job cuts will result in more refined mission for NPR, for in a more refined mission for NPR as an organization. Uh, which, I mean, any anyone could probably say that. It's already canceled a couple of podcasts. Uh, the advertising in the industry, period, advertising industry just for television, we'll talk about in a second, and for uh, just news has just been not good as of late. In a looming recession... The threat of a looming succession. Uh, did I say succession? I'm sorry. I'm thinking of succession. It was canceled. Oh, not canceled. It's ending. It's ending. It's ending. It's season four. The The creator said uh, it's it's going to end. And I am saddened. I wish you could get... I wish they... They asked him. He, he said HBO... Uh, Warner asked him. He said, hey, we're with you. Whatever you want to do. I wish he said one more season. Two more seasons. Or one more season after this. Season Five seasons would be great. Four seasons is fantastic. Five seasons would be even better. NPR, uh, this is a this comes from the memo from uh, NPR's CEO John Lansing. I'm just looking at the numbers here. They created a plan to address a twenty million dollar sponsorship revenue fall off for uh, the fiscal year of twenty three, but they're now projecting at least thirty million shortfall. They've already cut $14 million in expenses, including freezing the majority of vacant jobs, suspending paid internships and fellowships, and restricting non-essential travel. 65% of the budget supporting personnel costs. They're going to need to eliminate many of the vacant positions that have to be frozen, which means people are going to have to work harder. Or when I was let go from uh, 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 Warner, they're talking about quote, doing less with less, which, hey, I'm doing 
less with nothing. So <laughs> where does that leave me? We're going to keep sending this trend across the, uh, every every industry again. We're going to see it in video games. We're going to see it in uh, entertainment. We're going to see it in, in news. We kind of already do see it in news. Here it is on TV. This comes from Brian Steinberg of Variety. NBC hopes Night Court ad model will preside over linear and digital dollars during TV upfronts. Now, the TV upfronts are coming up in the spring, and it's a way for – it's basically a showcase saying uh, – for networks and streamers to say – We've got these things coming, and we want you to advertise with uh, on 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 of, on them on of them. <laughs> when advertisers are buying, when you're watching Bob Hart's Abishola on CBS, as I do, I love that. I think that show is very funny. When you're watching that show, or you're watching Survivor, or Amazing Race, or I'll leave CBS, Animal Control on Fox. <laughs> Anybody seen that? Not dead yet on ABC. Only the newest stuff. When when they when they see new shows like that, and when they see old Star Wars like uh, Star Wars, like uh, 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 the Goldbergs, which there's so I got an email yesterday that says Goldbergs ending at uh, ending at season ten. You know, ABC cancels the show. No, it's the show takes place during the eighties. The eighties is a decade, ten years. It was always coming to an end. We knew this was going to happen. They did a spinoff called Schooled that started in 1990-something. And it, and it sucked. And they canceled it. Oh, poor Laney. <laughs> Shouldn't have broken Laney and Barry up. Waste of time. Just kept them together. They have these shows and say, we've got, we've got these coming. Advertise with us. And it, and it looks like Night Court is going to be the model for NBC's shows. When, they, when, when it launched, 5.6 million people watched it. Over the next seven days, another 5.7 million, which is big for broadcast TV in the, net, in the era of streaming. You're never going to have a day one that's huge on broadcast ever again. Uh, unless it's a show. I mean, <laughs> I... I I know that's a that's a big swing to take, but I'm I I think that's pretty true. Not unless you know Game of Thrones is remade for ABC. I I, I can't imagine something uh, topping anything like topping what we what Friends used to have or what uh, um, uh, Big Bang Theory used to have. While the series ratings have ebbed as it moves deeper into the season, Night Court may be emblematic of the new ways in which TV networks are pitching their programs to advertisers. To be sure, NBC is seeking around 200000 for a 30-second spot for its linear broadcast of Night, Night, Night Court. But the dollars a network can pick up on streaming, while typically representing less in overall volume, are uh, extremely significant to the media economy's overall health. So what they're saying is they can they're they're essentially selling two styles of ad ad spots one for broadcast one for linear which people will see the night of or on their DVRs and then one for streaming which unless you pay to have the uh, um, ad free people can't skip 
NBC's Nightcore strategy is likely to be adopted by many traditional TV networks as they head towards what looks like a complicated, quote, upfront sales season when media outlet. Blah, 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 blah. Ad dollars are going to be smaller for the upcoming t- for uh, the 2023-2024 television season. Not necessarily a recession, but it's going to be a lot smaller. Which means they're going to be asking for basically the same or a little bit higher amount of money, and they're not going to be as picky. The ability to knit together the broad reach power of traditional broadcast with the consumer targeting technology of ad-supported streaming may provide a critical difference during a difficult time. That's like, you know, you wouldn't advertise wrestling. Eh, hold on, let me let me throw that out. Uh, you wouldn't advertise, let's say I watch Tubi. And I'm watching Freakazoid on Tubi. I mean, it's the only place to watch Freakazoid. Or Lovecraft Country, which is there for some... Again, I don't know why. Let's say I'm watching Tubi, and uh, and, I, and I live here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm going to... I'm most. I'm more than likely going to get an ad for the NASCAR races that Fox shows on Fox Broadcasting. But if I lived up north, I would probably get baseball commercials like hey spring training's coming back if i lived out west i I don't know i get scorpion commercials (laughs) the gold rush (laughs) advertising is difficult but when it comes to or advertising and streaming is difficult but when it comes to the ability to target ads then yeah, it works. And now, and they're all, and that's also happening on podcasts because when I listen to Never Not Funny, uh, the Thursday episode, they have two episodes, and the Thursday episode typically has ads all the time has ads. I always get Atlanta-based ads. Like the person will say Atlanta. This is specifically the end of the South. When they go to upfront. There, when these companies go to upfront, when these studios go to upfront, we're going to see a whole different way to showcase what they have. Let's go on to a different story. This comes from Variety, written by Brian Steinberg. Uh, CNN readies CNN primetime for 9 p.m. hour. CNN is about to have another show. After uh, who is it? Tapper? What's his name? Who's the one that was in trouble? Cuomo. Cuomo left. Or left. Cuomo was forced out. CNN needs a new 9 p.m. hour. The new show is called CNN Primetime. Both the show and the title of the program descriptions uh, are available to see for next week's um, uh, television guide. and But no one knows what it is yet. It could be a, it could be a, just another, it could be a primetime hosted show. It could be something. It could be this. It could be that. On Thursday of this week, oh, this is, oh, excuse me. This is, this is the last week's uh, article. So that means this is for this week. So CNN primetime has answered, has, uh, has already aired. Uh, but what that, what it was for Thursday was a town hall. It was talking about the, um, 
the train crash in Ohio, I believe that's what it's called. Uh, so that w- that was the town hall for uh, for that for the Thursday episode. There's also, but then there's another description entry that says that there's a one-on-one uh, interview between a newsmaker and anchor Don Lemon. So as it turns, what what it looks like seeing in prime time is right now is uh, basically a showcase of what CNN can do. It's the place where they can throw long-form things without ruining the the timing of shows. Because sometimes you'll have a, a, a State of the Union that'll come on on a Monday or Tuesday night, and that's 45 minutes you have to cut out for of your schedule plus another hour to discuss it. So that's two, two and a half hours, let's be safe. To, to for, for them to discuss it. Or there's a town hall in regards to some shootings that happen in town or for a, for that train derailment. Or there's a big interview that they have exclusive uh, chance for. You know, there's a, I don't know, Mike Lindell interview <laughs> on CNN. Thanks, Wolf! <laughs> That's as far as I could go with that Mike Lindell interview, <laughs> interview uh, impression. I mean, will you get the pillows? Yeah, that's it. That's all I got. I don't know what to say. We have receipts. He didn't win the election. <laughs> Just pointing to a pillow that has like the election results on it. <laughs> Biden didn't win. Trump is the real winner. <laughs> all right. All right. I got a Mike Lindell in the back pocket. <laughs> no. And I, I, I predict by fall we'll have something uh, in that in that hour that's going to be permanent. Jake Tapper was in the hour for a little bit last year, and uh, it wasn't very good. Laura Colts and Allison Camerata uh, had two hours between 10 p.m. and uh, midnight, and they were and you know this is just CNN trying things out. But CNN primetime is gonna it's just like a permanent place right now where they can affix these interviews and such. And I, I mentioned a couple we or uh, two episodes ago, they're doing Bill Maher's Overtime, the YouTube original or YouTube original, excuse me. The the extras from HBO's Bill Maher's uh, late night show are gonna air at 11 p.m. on Friday nights. On I there's a, I don't know if you can hear this police officer outside uh, uh, blaring his thing, but I sure can. His uh, siren. You thought I meant gun. <laughs> bang 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 bang. <laughs> Uh, CNN is kind of in a, in a, in a bit of a, a not I don't want to say dire situation, but in an, in, an, in a hard to describe one because they have to go against MSNBC and Fox News who are ruling those hours with, uh, you know, Rachel Maddow. I think her show is now weekly. Alex Wagner's got a show at that at that time. Uh, Sean Hannity's got a show at that time. But apparently Chris Litch, CNN CEO, uh, is uh, suggested that he's not looking for another traditional news hour for that. And again, this is a good place for them to put experimental things. It was there was a um, Charles Barkley apparently has been approached uh, by CNN to do a weekly show, and he's only entertaining the idea because Gail 
uh, is has also been approached, Gail King. Uh, and I, I mentioned that for for her own show or for a show with him. Uh, and I also mentioned I, I mentioned this to a friend who is in the news, and I mentioned this to a friend who is uh, uh, wants to work as in the sports news arena, and uh, both had different opinions on the, their appropriate sides. Like one talked the sports focused one talked about friend talked about the Charles Barkley. Like, what does he have to say to a news ready audience on CNN? And then what does uh, and like would Gail King leave the face of CBS, like leave being the face of CBS News alongside Nora O'Donnell to be one of many faces at CNN? Sure, that would afford her to do more in depth stories and and you know bigger stories compared to what she does at CNN, CBS this morning. Uh, but I kind of would rather I would I would rather have uh, CBS, you know, be, uh, be one of two big heads than one of twenty. Let's stay on the Warner train. This comes from Variety. Fresh off the presses. Written by Gene Mattis. South Park lawsuit. Warner Bros. Discovery sues Paramount Global over licensing dispute. When HBO Max was about to launch, Warner Bros. at the time, Warner Media, bought the rights for stream licensing rights for streaming South Park from, from Paramount Global for $500 million in 2019 which I thought was a stupid idea in the first place for Paramount to even sell that. Now there's a lawsuit saying that uh, Paramount is, uh, is, is ruining the deal because they promised three new seasons, 10 episodes on HBO max after they air on Car- on uh, comedy central. So every Wednesday after South Park airs, they're supposed to get three new episodes, or they're supposed to get that episode for three seasons straight. They paid five hundred million for that and for the back catalog. What they what Paramount has delivered thus far is two episodes. Hold on, let me uh, let me get these numbers down. Uh, the suit alleges, however, that only two episodes were delivered for the first of those seasons. And six for that second. And now this third season that's airing currently is only going to consist of six episodes for a total of 14 episodes across three uh, three seasons. There are many thoughts for this coming from me. Uh, my thought process was, yes, Paramount is screwing over, screwing you guys over because they're also getting 14 mini-movies. And then I believe... Uh, HBO Max only received I mean I have a computer right in front of me I don't know why I picked up my phone it's easier to go to the app <laughs> but the computer is right in front of me I believe HBO Max only received uh, one pandemic special I still watch South Park as if like it's it's gonna be as good as it used to be uh, they received it received the vaccination special and then they are correct that, let me go back to season 24, it got the pandemic special. The last time, and this, so, I mean, this is this is all stemming from, this is all a product of the pandemic, because season 23 was the last full season. It's the last time they had 10 episodes. And then at, at once season 24, that was the pandemic, 
So they did a pandemic special. Then they had six episodes in 25. And then this season's going to have six episodes. Where And then all, all the while, the South Park guys signed a new deal with Paramount where they get 14 movies, 14 mini-movies. And so far, they've delivered two of those, two or three of those. Uh... The suit alleges that new episodes are far more valuable than old ones and that, therefore, HBO Max dramatically overpaid for the library. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you really, really did. You should have just left it up to Disney so they can keep it on Hulu. Or, I mean, <laughs> Paramount should have just kept it for themselves. You know, it'd be the home of uh, Beavis and Butthead and South Park. Meanwhile, in 2021... So that so they yeah that was the nine they signed a nine hundred Paramount nine hundred million dollar deal with uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone for exclusive South Park shows that would run on Paramount Plus. In the press release, an MTV executive was quoted as saying the deal would quote help fuel Paramount. Now that is, I do believe there's there is a case to be made here. Originally, when I read this, when I read this, I was I was like, well, you I mean you got screwed, but. I do find that there is, excuse me, four of the mini movies have aired on Paramount Plus. I said two to three of the fourteen, so they have ten more. Um, they, I mean, again, so the pan the pandemic started, people were at home. Yes, South Park can be made on computers at home, but we just saw a decline in movies and television shows for that period of time. Then when people started going back to work. I and and I mean at that point that's kind of where it all changed where South Park okay well we can only make one episode for this one season that's understandable but for the next season six episodes that's where that's where uh, uh, Warner has a case I'm no lawyer I'm just a humble Southern boy who knows the law <laughs> but when it comes to Paramount they signed a separate deal. With these guys, and they paid they paid the premium price for it, and it kind of doesn't make sense. Nine, like almost a billion dollars, and people can't get jobs. You know, Jesus, they're they're already billionaires. Because they, I think I think Trey and Matt own the rights to uh, South Park, so they they more than likely got a huge chunk of change. Just like uh, uh, LeBron, they're both—they're all billionaires. I—I've said it before, and I'll say it again. What they, sh- what my, what Warner should have done in order to save my job in particular, they should have—they uh, should have just when they were hurting for cash, when when Discovery takes over Warner assets, sell back. You have friends. Don't worry about South Park. Yes, it's a it's a big it's a big property. But if you focus on your brands, if you say, "Hey, we're the exclusive home of Game of Thrones. We're the exclusive home of uh one of the big ticket of of uh DC movies. People are going to flock to those." And whether you like it or not, people people would love to uh watch, you know, the Zack Snyder Justice League. Whether they felt bullied by that or not, people would love to see uh, you champion uh, uh, the Batgirl movie. But instead, 
you know, you you go on and put things out like Velma, <laughs> which again, I think Velma is not as bad as people think. We're saying, what's I mean, trust me, I it was it was bad, and I there are a lot of jokes where I was like, Ugh, yikes, but hey. And I, I mean, I would love to see the numbers that they're receiving on South Park. I, I mean, because I, it's it is tough to go back because South Park is so huge, and it's the same issue I have with uh, the Simpsons, like rewatching the Simpsons on Disney Plus or going through, you know, Family Guy on Hulu, is that there's there's so many seasons to to scan through that it's hard to find, you know, what you want, especially because on HBO Max they make it so difficult. To get through, if like if I I'm on season 26, I want to go back to season uh, nine. On a computer, fast. On, you know, a, a TV set, hard. TV set, Jesus. I miss when they did 14 episodes, and I miss when it was funny. <laughs> that was just kind of hateful. So you, you, I think they both screwed up in the in the long run. And his final story comes from The Hollywood Reporter, written by Alex Rittman. After BAFTA's mostly white winners, experts say focus should be on the UK film industry. So the British, uh, I, I don't know what the BAFTA stands for. The, the British Academy Awards, essentially, uh, happened. And 47 of the 49 winners are white. Uh, Guillermo del Toro and Florencia Martin are Latinx. Uh, Guillermo del Toro is particularly Mexican, but he's white passing. And he only hires white actors. It's very true. When's the last time he hired a person of color? I'll go back and say it. Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> I forgot how to spell his name. <laughs> the last time he had a person of color in a movie was The Shape of Water. And that is uh, that was uh, um, Olivia Spencer. Octavia Spencer. <laughs> Olivia, Octavia, it's all the same thing. No, Pacific Rim. No, 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 no. Shape of Water, Shape of Water. Shape of Water was the last time we had a person of color. I didn't see it in Nightmare Alley because there was no people of color in it. And I did not see Pinocchio because there's no people of color in it. How do you have a movie that is fully animated and not one person is colored? <laughs> the, closest, the closest person that is, that is colored in this entire movie is Ron Perlman. If you tell me he was something, I'd be like, all right, I guess he is. <laughs> I'm not going to watch that movie. And that's the one he probably won for. The sharp criticism uh, that landed was in stark contrast to the praise BAFTA had received, some of it just days earlier, over its nominees, which were a hugely diverse set of names and titles. Almost 40% of acting slots were taken by non-white individuals, including many snubs from the uh, AMPA's voters. I don't know what that... Um, I guess that's the American. I don't know. I mean, when you have movies like All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a movie starring all white people that is set, we we are, we're done with war movies. No more war movies. The Banshees of Inisherin, which yeah, only had seven people and it's all Irish people, but still, you know, you get you gotta get one. What's near Ireland? India. China, Japan, like any one of these, there's multiple countries of people of color just located nearby. (laughs) 
Baptist has also, just like the Oscars, been in this situation. They had their own quote, unquote, Baptist so white controversy. Where all of the uh, acting nominees in 2020 were all white. I mean, this is just going to continue to happen because they, the, the, the UK film industry continues, and television industry as well, continues to make movies starring the people that make up the majority of that industry. Look at Tar. Yes, it's led by a woman. Yes, I'm sure it's fantastic. There's no people of color in that movie. Uh, look at uh, Guillermo del Toro's movies. I mean, it's just I, you, you, you like you can't be accepting of something that you know you can't be mad at something rather that you have control over. Olivia Coleman hasn't like besides the movie that she was just in, she never started in a movie with a person of color. I'm correct on that. What's the movie that that's called? Uh, oh, Jesus, and people love her, and that's great. I'm glad. Is it Puts in Boots? No, it's Empire of Light. Yeah, she's uh, like, I'm going through, and I'm talking about movies where she's a star. I'm not talking about these animated movies like Ron's Gone Wrong and uh, Puss in Boots and Mitchell's versus the Machines. The Father. Yes, it's about a family. The Favorite. I think Murder on the Orient Express might be the closest thing to her. <laughs> and you can you can like these actors, and then they can stand up and clap, you know, at these award ceremonies when they talk about diversity initiatives. Diversity initiatives, but I mean, in the long run, if they're not going to act on it, then there's then the hypocrisy will stand strong. Women of color make up less than two percent of the British film directors. More than eighty percent of the films are under sixty minutes long. Black, Asian, and minority ethnic individuals were, quote, twice less likely to get department head and key off-screen roles. The industry is shady and crooked. And, we, and, and there has to be something done about it now instead of putting people in figurehead positions. I mean, just cast somebody in the roles that they deserve to be cast in. And not I'm not talking about, you know, putting out a movie like Till or Black Panther Wakanda Forever or uh I want to dance with somebody. It's you got to they I I've said it before, I've said it a thousand times. Unless a unless a line in the movie says get your silky white ass over here. <laughs> then it doesn't they then don't cast a white person in that role. And even if if that movie says that it either a be it better be a comedy or b <laughs> that industry needs to be looked at. <sighs> All right, listen, I'm done. If you like what you heard here, head over to the website cpluscomedy.com where you can see uh, the I don't know whatever <laughs> stuff. Me talk to comedians. Uh, oh, hey, <laughs> I forgot to do the top of the episode. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it in a second. Uh, <laughs> it shows you where I'm at in my head. 
You can uh, uh, watch a video version of this show on youtube.com slash comedy, where you can also watch other video podcasts as well. Both are on a break for this week. LinkedIn Logs, where I try to become a LinkedIn influencer. And Late Night Lately, where I talk about uh, the best things that happen in late night for the week. Uh, the reason I'm off for LinkedIn Logs is because I just couldn't find a topic that was that I had enough information on, and I truly just didn't want to uh, BS it like I do this show. And then for Late Night Lately, uh, I'm going to set a rule for myself. If there's like seven late night shows, two on NBC, two on CBS, ABC, uh, HBO. There's two on HBO. I just don't care. <laughs> about one of them. Uh, HBO and then, you know, a smattering, a, a couple of others. Whatever. Uh, if the majority of them are off, I'm not going to do an episode. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to uh, try to gloss over things. I'm not going to do that. So we'll probably be back next week. And if not, we got to that. Video version of those shows, youtube.com slash comedy, alongside the premiere show, News Time, which is back. All episodes have been uploaded, with the exception of this week's episode, uh, which, again, took a break. <laughs> I'll be back next week with two. Uh, the, the last one was about the Super Bowl. Listen to those podcasts wherever he goes. Podcasts. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at C Plus Comedy, me on all those, at Chad Black White. Uh, that's the end of the episode. We're going to throw to the end. Goodbye forever.